Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the New Dominion Podcast. I'm Sean Kenny with the Republican Standard. Sitting opposite of me is my co-partner in crime here, Marty Davis with F2S. Marty, how was your week? Week was good, man. I uh, started a new job. Uh, Congratulations. Continuing my old job. Uh, getting into all kinds of good trouble this week. Uh, <laughs> I uh, woke up to a phone call at 7 o'clock this morning with someone yelling at me about a uh, piece that came out this morning. And that was good. It's Excellent. Good, it's a good way to start the day. You know, you, you suck a nerve when you do that. And, um, you know, just, just having fun, man. Just sure. It's a million dream. degrees outside, so it's finally August in Virginia or getting close. Well, about 950,000. I wouldn't put it quite at a million. Yeah, that's coming Friday. So well, with the heat index, it makes the difference, right? It, it, it absolutely <laughs> makes the difference, to be sure. How was your week, Sean? Uh, not so bad. Um, as a matter of fact, so I, my, I sent Marie, who's daughter number two. She went over to Europe. She's there for World Youth Day, which will end up in Fatima in Portugal. Oh. Um, there'll be a million Catholics doing mass <laughs> with Pope Francis and hopefully cooler weather. Um, um, from according to the, the report, but she'll be over there for the next 10 days. So that'll be a good time for her. And of course, her older sister's on the other side of the planet in Montana, hunting for rocks and got Jonathan getting ready to go into seminary, Matthew doing film at VCU. It's like a crazy time. I think we're going to have one week, like the second week in August where everybody's going to be back, all seven kids, my wife, myself in one house. And then they scatter to the four winds and it'll be a long time till they all get together, which is part of watching these little birds fly <laughs> fly birdie fly fly birdie fly yeah it's a good thing but you know it's uh when when they do get together with them uh, it's wonderful i know that when we were at the beach a couple of weeks ago and as you can tell by my glasses and my hat and you're yes, still I at the beach look shorts, at you yeah got my, uh, my my son calls them my jesus sandals um, freaking bum I, uh, <laughs> i'm a total bum total beach bum and and you know the best part was spending time with my son and and yeah. getting to be with him again so we don't we don't get to see him all that often and uh, yeah, it's a special time. Good time. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed, indeed. Well, you know, tonight's guest is sitting in studio with us is none other than Joel Griffin. He's the Democratic candidate for the 27th state Senate seat for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Joel, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know. It's been something that we've been talking about doing for a while, so I'm glad I could finally get it on your schedule. Well, as a patron of your restaurant, um, quite frequently, at least once a week, anyway, um, you certainly become a landmark and kind of a uh, you know a gathering space for for many people in Fredericksburg. Um, you know, I want to open kind of open up with this. It's like you know, so obviously, um, you know, I mean, there's a million different things you could be doing other than running for public office, right? And yet, you decide to go ahead and put yourself out there. Talk to me a little bit about why you chose to run and maybe like what really motivated you to kind of throw your hat in. Because again, you've, you've, you've got a successful career. You've already sold one business. Um, we just went through like a whole host of things that you're doing professionally um, with business startups and defense contracting and uh, the national security um, environment. Um, why are you doing this, man? Why, of all the other things you could be doing and all the other good that you are doing, why public office? Uh, I think for me, it's it's twofold. First, I, I'm a firm believer in, in um, you know, in order for our democracy to be successful, people have to serve. Um, and, and services, um, and it comes in many forms and in many ways. And for me, it's, it's running for public office. But I've also been, uh, and I've tried to continue to be of service for the past 20 years in a variety of ways from, you know, uh, starting a nonprofit with my wife to... Um, serving on boards and commissions and, and trying to lend my expertise and my um, 
you know, my experience and knowledge uh, back into the community and, and helping others. And, um, you know, so that the, the adage of uh, to whom much is given, much is expected uh, certainly resonates with me. And, um, you know, the other part of it is the way I grew up. You know, I grew up in a very, you know, blue collar rural community. Um, you know, you didn't call um, the mechanic when you needed something. You, if your dad didn't know how to fix it, he he would call his brother. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was one of those kinds <laughs> of environments. And and so you may do with what you had, and and you made it work. But what that taught me was that, um, you know, there really isn't someone else to call. It's your responsibility to fix it. And so between that that pool of responsibility for what I see going on in our community and and wanting to make it better, but also the call to service, which I've felt since, you know, I was a kid and joined the Marines. So, so Sean, it's it, – or Sean, excuse me. I'm sorry. I've, I've got my guests confused here. Similar haircuts, so, impressive beards. Yes, I mean, absolutely. Uh, Joel, so <laughs> I want to get back on the service thing. And it's actually something Sean and I were chatting about uh, just this afternoon, as a matter of fact. This, this this impetus that people have to sort of get beyond themselves to do more, uh, to, to give back. Um, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is that it seems that, uh, especially since COVID hit and we were all kind of isolated, um, it seems for a lot of us, and I know in, in school environments, it's been tough for kids coming back, um, to kind of get out of themselves and to give back and to be involved. Um, you know, obviously your parents instilled in you this idea of service, uh, certainly being a Marine is all about service, right? Simplify. Um, and and there's, it's such a tight community in the Marine Corps. Um, I know that even though I never served, my son's a Marine, and we're part of that family, and I've never experienced anything quite like it in my life. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. How do we, how, you know, obviously you instill it in, in your family. How do we, as a, as a society, get kind of get back to this idea of service, of getting people involved? What, how, how do we do that? Yeah, I think um, in the Marine Corps, um, sort of the the running joke is joke is the uh, the, the term trauma bonding, um, <laughs> where we've all uh, we've all suffered together, uh, and we've all suffered the same way. And and that generational connection is that we've all been through the same location, the same type of training, so that whether you are a Marine in World War II or you are a Marine who graduated boot camp, you know, on Friday, um, that brotherhood, that relationship, that kinship, that family exists because the Marine from World War II and the Marine who graduated on Friday can see each other and immediately have that commonality, that familiarity. And I think that's something that, um, in in the United States, uh, you know, we've sort of lost sight of that. Uh, we've lost sight of the fact that we're all Americans and that we all want what's best. And, you know, I've traveled and I've had the, the good fortune of being able to travel. And every time I go somewhere, it doesn't matter who our president is. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Everybody wants to come to America. Everybody wants to see what America is all about because our ideals as Americans are something that, People have talked about for hundreds of thousands of years, but we were able to bring it to fruition that equality under the law, 
that justice for all, that those are words on a piece of paper that we try to espouse every single day. And I think for a long time, to the point of service, I think for a long time we've sort of been divided by political parties. We've been divided by um, ethnicity. We've been divided by race. We've been divided by socioeconomic status. And I think because we've been sort of dissected in so many different categories, we've lost sight of the fact that at the end of the day, we're all Americans and we can have different views. We can have disagreements, but we can also still be civil with one another. We can also have agreements and conversations and communication with one another because we all want what's best for our country. And we can agree on what's the definition of best is, but we still can agree on the fact that we want what's best. And for people to think like that and start to think like that by default pushes them in the direction of service. Because if I want to see my country do well, if I want to see my state do well, if I want my community to do well, it's not up to somebody else. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's your responsibility. And we all have that flexibility to serve in our own way. And people say, well, I don't have time. I I don't buy that. I don't buy that you don't have time. I mean, certainly circumstances are different for everyone. And, you know, when I had little kids, I certainly had less time to volunteer uh, than I did, you know, when, um, you know, now that they're they're older. Um, Circumstances change, but you can serve. And it can be in the smallest of ways. It can be holding the door for your neighbor at the grocery store. It can be an hour at your at your school helping the librarian. It can be um, helping mentor the next generation of, if you're successful, you know, keep that ladder down and, and let that person crawl up behind you and say, here's how I did it. You can overcome some of those hurdles by learning from me. And so I think if we open that mindset that we all have that commonality, regardless of what we hear on the news every night, and we all start working towards that and we commit to, we want to leave it better than when we found it, then service by default occurs. That's awesome. The, uh, so we talked a little bit earlier just, just off the show about kind of your background, your resume, right? You know, United States Marine Corps, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to say serial entrepreneur, but pretty close, sold a successful business. Now you've got three different areas that you're kind of working in. Talk to me a little bit about that and how your values have sort of shaped your, your uh, you know, sort of you, you know, what you do in the public square in terms of your businesses, investments, things of that nature. Sure. Yeah. So we've lived in this community for over 20 years and, and uh, I was a coming out of the Marines. I had a security clearance and I was able to have a successful career in government contracting. But my experiences during my career led me to work for DOD, Homeland Security, intelligence community, all based around the national security market. And then that led to my my business and then ultimately the, the, that, uh, the acquisition of that business. Um, but I was diligently focused on building a small business, making it grow. Um, and the only thing that I did outside of uh, work and family was the volunteering I did in, in the community. Sure. And that's something I'm also passionate about. But I was very focused on growing that small business. After that transaction, um, I had the opportunity to sort of look around and say, 
what else can I do? Where else can I be helpful? What can I, you know, what, what other opportunities exist? And so for, for me, um, again, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, about this region is just, um, the fastest growing region for the past 30 years. Uh, we have so many people coming to the area. There's so many fantastic opportunities across the, the district. Um, you know, that it, it was just something that it seemed logical to me to start a growth management firm and, and make investments across, you know, multiple di- different industries. But, um, you know, I think, you know, so looking forward, you look at someone like Richard Branson at Virgin, right? That's sort of the model mindset of you, you can invest in other things, but the idea is going back to the service piece, I'm investing in myself but what I'm doing is I'm hiring experts and then I'm affording them the framework and the opportunity to, um, to do what they're good at and, and to allow them to, to be the experts that they are. I'm, I'm certainly not, um, you know, the person who has all of the expertise and knowledge in all these different industries, but it does, um, I'm sort of setting the strategy and then affording them the opportunity and the framework and the business model to, to find success. Right. So I got to ask this, right? So, you know, United States Marine Corps, entrepreneur, background in the defense industry, background in the IC. This sounds like a tailor-made Republican candidate, man. Like, like, so, so, so I don't want to kind of cage this as like, so why are you a Democrat? But like, in the same terms, like, like, there's got to be genuine, like, legitimate in, in disassociation based on something of integrity, right? So, like, what is it that sort of makes you, I mean, again, it doesn't sound like a, on paper that you're a, you're a typical Democratic candidate. So what is it that sort of makes you a little bit more on the Democratic side than the Republican side? Where do you see the failings on the right and what are you trying to improve with from your approach on the left? Um, I, I know it's going to be a shock to the audience to, to hear that uh, you're not the first person to think <laughs> <laughs> um, That's why I had to throw it in there, man. <laughs> um, Bravo. It's, uh, you know... Um, you know, dino has been a term that has, you know, that I've been battling against for some time. But um, the reality is that um, a lot of this goes back to the way I was raised. Um, You know, there was a picture of John Kennedy in my home. Um, You know, we grew up in a, uh, in a town that was, you were either black or white. um, And there was obvious racism and discrimination. Um, and that's just the way it was. Um, there was no discussion of whether it was right or wrong. It was just a matter of that was just the way it was. And so that always just didn't sit right with me about why is it that's the way it is. And so, you know, you think, think about, you know, um, Bobby Kennedy's quote about, you know, wanting to, you know, seeing how it is, but then wanting to make it, you know, I see what it, what it could be. Right. Um, and that's sort of the mindset that I, that I had. And then I joined the Marines and the, the travel that I did with the Marine Corps, um, the people that I served with, I was exposed to so much more. And, and it really sort of broadened my, my perspective of there's a whole world out there. Um, and, and most of the world wants to come here. And um, so I, I've always felt a pull towards um, social justice. I've always felt a pull towards um, wanting our society to, to be better. 
Um, I, I've, when I joined the Marines, you know, you, you, when you raise your right hand, you swear an oath to the Constitution. You don't swear to a party or a person or an office. You swear it to the Constitution. And I do firmly believe in the ideals of the Constitution that, um, you know, we are an imperfect nation, but we are striving to be as, as good as we can. Um, I don't believe the Constitution is a perfect document. I believe that it can be um, periodically reviewed and, and updated for, for the times um, and, and for the values of our nation. But social issues, I think, pull me more towards, you know, that's why I'm a Democrat. I believe in, in, in those issues. I believe that it's our responsibility to take care of those unfortunate ones. I believe it's our responsibility to have frameworks in place that um, make sure that there is equality for all. Um, and, um, you know, you brought up the Republican Party. I, you know, I, I want to be clear that I have a lot of friends who are Republicans. Um, I think we all do. Um, most neighbors probably don't even talk about politics because they're afraid to. Um, but there is very clearly a extremist arm of the Republican Party. And I want to be careful not to label everyone in a particular group one way. But there is a 10%, probably a 30% based off of the polls, that no matter what happens, they have found their sort of um, folk hero in, in, in a particular person. Um, that that doesn't sit right with me, particularly when that person has time and time and time again proven that the values that he says he has, his actions don't back those words up. And so um, I, I think I, I want to be sure to make this very clear. I am fiscally conservative. I have to be that way because my wife won't let me spend more than I make. Uh, we have to be that way as business owners. Um, so the Republican values of being fiscally conservative, I think that's that holds true. Um, but for me, what it just boils down to is that the social issues, the, my social values, from what I've seen, my experience in the world, that that really pushes me in the direction of saying that I'm a Democrat, um, believing that I'm a Democrat, um, having grown up as a Democrat. So it's just. It's just, just who, part of who I am. So it's not a, a decision, if I could say, of I picked to be a Republican or a Democrat. It's just I've always been a Democrat. This also is like a, like a Chap Peterson Democrat, if you're familiar with Chap. Okay, fiscally conservative, socially very liberal, um, but still kind of and, – and, and lost his primary this year to a, a progressive challenger, um, which on my side of the fence is very unfortunate. But he, he was somebody else who kind of kind of embraced the Virginia way, which was like, look, we can disagree on policy, but that doesn't mean we, we think of the opposition as evil, right? Not right. Democrat or Republican, right? right? Um, which when you mentioned that, that 10 to 30, that's actually closer to like 50%. Um, but you see it on both parties, right? Where the polarization is just so strong. Um, and it's so difficult to get it passed. Like you're almost like in a unique role to help bridge that. And I think your, your opponent would be as well, but it, it seems like this is something that's really at your core, right? You see these oppositional sort of, they just want to get at one another and there's more that could be done for the common good, if we just kind of focus on that, does that 
close to, to, to where your core is in terms of service? And I, I, I would say that um, I, I don't really agree with, with what you said. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the reason being that um, if you are fighting for um, to take someone's rights away from them, if you are fighting to um, make it harder for people to vote, if you are in favor of um, rewriting our history so that makes it a little easier for you to um, to accept, if you are okay with banning books because the idea of knowledge terrifies you, um, I'm not okay with that. And uh, so, no, I, I would never say that um, people who who think that way that that I could sit by and, and, and abide by, by that mentality. And that's one of the primary reasons that I'm running. I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, my daughter has free choice, like every other, every other citizen, um, to do, make her own healthcare decisions. Um, I want to make sure that, um, the, the, the LGBTQ plus community that we have, they're not afraid to walk down the street and be who they are. And I also don't want people who are conservative in their values to feel that they need to be afraid. And so this idea that we have to create fear in order to make our point, um, that's lost in translation on me. And and, and I look back to, um, you know, I'm a big history buff, Martin, you know that. So, I, I you know, I look back to the idea of, creating fear and then starting to strip away people's rights. No, none of the citizenry box at that idea. So we start taking more rights. And before you know it, we've segmented entire parts of our community. There's, this has happened before, right? This is not some nuanced. It happened a thousand years ago. This happened in the 1930s, right? So let's make no mistake about where we are. And again, I'm not conflating, Republicans with fascists at all. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that if there is a small faction in a party, if there is a small faction of people who are um, aggressively trying to strip people's rights away, then it's all of our responsibility to step forward and say, we are all equal under the law. Joel, I'm, I, I want to shift case just a little bit here, right? Cause I want to come back and p- circle around and pick up on a couple of things you said. Um, I was intrigued by the way you talked about your business approach, where you talk about, um, you know, you're sort of a strategist. You're the kind of set the framework, kind of set the tone, but then you, you turn um, the experts loose to do what they do really well. Um, and that's another concept that that we're really wrestling with right now. We see we see it in education. We see people denigrating teachers. We see uh, people questioning the medical community. We see, and, and I don't want to insinuate that it's, that we shouldn't ask questions. I don't ever want to do. That. I don't. I don't ever want to say that. But once you have degrees behind your name, you're right. That's the end of the discussion. Because clearly, I know a lot of people would. Three, five, seven, ten, twelve letters behind their name, who've done some pretty stupid things, right? Uh, so I don't want to say we don't question, but um, are you at all concerned that we are reaching a point where expertise has become a joke, right? I mean, that that we don't want to 
accept the fact or respect the fact that when someone spends 20 years of their life delving deeply into a subject, you know, we have an obligation to, to at least listen, to give them a fair hearing. Or, or is, does that factor into your thinking at all? It absolutely does. I, I think my wife, Jennifer, is a, is a school teacher. Um, she, and I say she is because she was a by profession. Her, she has a degree in education. Um, she was a teacher in, in the classrooms, uh, public schools for 17 years. Um, so when I see people question her um, or question teachers in general, um, yeah, it sort of rubs me the wrong way. That being said, and I want to be very clear about this. I do agree that parents, um, citizens should have every right to ask any question they want. And if they're not satisfied with that answer, they can do something about it, right? They can, um, they can pull their kid from school. They can go to a different doctor. They can pick a different mechanic. They can run for office, right? They can, they absolutely have that prerogative, but I think every citizen has that, that prerogative to be inquisitive, to ask hard questions and expect quality answers. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think when you, when we start saying that people who have been in a career or whatever it is for a period of time and that experience and that knowledge and that skill carries very little weight and that your opinion uh, overrules their experience and their training and their knowledge and their education. Yeah. I, that starts to lose some, some weight in my mind. Um, it, again, if I go to the doctor and I don't understand, I'm, you can be certain I'm going to ask, ask questions, questions. <laughs> right? So, so what, what do you mean by that? Right. Explain it to me. And if I'm not happy with the answer, I'm going to go get a second opinion. I think people can do the same thing with school teachers, but the, but the, but the notion that um, your opinion does not outweigh the information, the informed decision, the informed um, um, decision-making process that this professional um, ha- has gone through and has undertaken. And at the end of the day, if you feel like your opinion does matter, again, change that for yourself or for your child. Don't assume that your opinion should this be carpeted across every child at that point. Yeah, I know that. So I taught at the university level for a number of years early in my career and um, teaching again a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I I never cease to be amazed at when people uh, will begin to, I, I don't mind people questioning stuff I say. I don't mind people questioning um, my fairness. It, it keeps me in check, right? It, it, and there are lots of nights when I go home and I'm like, did I do the right thing today? Did I treat this kid <laughs> the same way I treated that kid? Did I look at things the same way? Was I really fair? I mean, we always need to, if, if you're a professional, you're constantly checking yourself in those ways because we're human. We make mistakes. We do things wrong. I've made lots of mistakes. I've made them in my writing career. I've made them in the classroom and we've all made them, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, it, it bothers me when people ask me a, a history question. So I did my graduate work in history. And they and they ask me a question in the field that I've spent a lot of time doing a lot of reading, 
and they ask my opinion and I give it to them and the response is not, I disagree because I've heard this. The response is, you're wrong. <laughs> well, it sounds like something that's like, like really like on your chest. Something's right on now. my chest, baby. Yeah, I've got like, it out there. What uh, did somebody challenge you in some arcane thing about ninth century Europe, and you just sort of like came over the wall and like? No, no, no. But I, but I do. I mean, I am. I'm just. I'm. I'm fascinated <laughs> by this that, that you're referencing these professionals and, and the role that they play. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm excited to hear that um, the, the the level of respect that you have. Well, I, I think. No, no person is perfect. Every single person on planet Earth has made mistakes. It's going to happen. I think where you show your maturity is when you are willing to acknowledge that you made a mistake I, I, and, and I'm willing to learn from it or acknowledging the fact that I had not – maybe not I didn't have all the information or maybe as new information has come to light or maybe as scientific evidence has changed – um, we need to update, you know, the, the, the answer. Um, I, I don't think that we, anyone can just assume that the answer today is always the right answer. I think we, but we should constantly be seeking to striving to, to do better, to be better. But we absolutely have to listen to experts, but the, our experts also have to be willing to have that open door policy that says, and I do this all the time in my business. If you think I'm making a bad answer or a bad call, I want you to tell me because that does two things for me. I may not agree with you, but I want you to feel heard. And secondly, you may have information that prevents me from making a bad decision. So I absolutely need to hear it. Right. So that conveyance of information, that shared communication, that trust that we have with one another actually makes our business better. It makes our nonprofit better. And when I talk to, you know, to citizens on the campaign trail, I tell them my opinion and they share new information with me and I come back and say, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. So I, I learned something today. So that's fantastic. So. so you talk about your love for the city and your love for the region and all that goes on. And, and you've got a lot of, you got a good group of people to agree with you. We've got Sean over here who grew up running around in diapers on Hanover Street, having a grand old time and, and living. That was in, last week. Well, that was yeah, last actually, week, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but uh, <laughs> actually, actually, it was last week. But that's another story for another day. Um, but you know, I mean, we're not a perfect area either. There are things wrong here. So if you know, if you are put into office, uh, what are some of the things that you built at the state level that can be done to make life better here to address some of the challenges we face? Well, I think first and foremost is is um, for the population, the, the childbearing population. Um, I want them to, to know that um, I will absolutely defend their right to seek and make their own decisions with their healthcare provider. Um, that is something that um, I'm very adamant about. There's no place in the room between a, 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 a private citizen, their healthcare provider, and a politician. There's, there's no place for that. So um, defending a woman's right to choose uh, is, is paramount for me. Um, making sure that, you know, you know, defending our public schools, and I don't just mean um, supporting our teachers. I mean, let's revisit, like, where, where's our money going at the state level? And, 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 and not just, yeah, we spend a lot of money on the schools, but where are we spending it? And what are we spending it on? And what are our priorities? And, you know, test scores are – are fantastic, but I'll tell you, 
you know, some of the best kids that I know are not straight A students, right? They are, you know, kids who are in their community serving. They are kids in their community who are artistic. And, um, and so, you know, an academic grade doesn't necessarily convey success. And so I think we've so gotten sort of on this hamster wheel of, um, you know, test scores that we sort of lost sight of the idea of education as a whole. And so I want to make sure that if we're going to put money into our public schools, that it stays in our public schools and it's not, and we can provide the best education to every student that, that wants to be able to partake of it. But we were also the fastest growing region here um, in, in the Commonwealth and one of the fastest growing in the nation. And we need to start planning like that. We've been in this sort of mode of, well, we really don't want to be Fairfax, but, um, you know, if you look in, uh, in, the, in the area, I mean, there doesn't seem to be a plan, right? And so I would like to create more relationships with our local elected officials, our mayor, the city council, the, the supervisors, um, and, and start saying, you know, where, where is your strategy? What, what are we working on? How can we help you at the state level? Um, you know, extending um, some of the, the bike paths that we have here in the area so that people can, can ride their bikes to work. We have uh, the, the commuter rail system that's going to be here in the next five to seven years. That's wonderful. People can take their, they can park their car and then they can take the train into the city or they can take it into Richmond and it's a dedicated commuter passenger line. So we don't have to be relying on CSX anymore, but where are they going to park their car, Right. Um, the people who are working in the coffee shops and the people who are waiting tables and the people who are, um, you know, taking out the trash and people who are on a you know, minimum wage kind of jobs, where are they going to live? And we, 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 it, it's not practical for us to be in a situation where people have to drive an hour just to get to work. That's counterintuitive, right? I mean, whether you're a, a corporate executive driving an hour to Tyson's corner or whether you're a waitress driving from, you know, orange to, to Fredericksburg, an hour is an hour. I mean, that's traffic is traffic. And so how do we solve those, some of those problems by addressing affordable housing? Um, and, and, and then also, um, incorporating all of the, the disparate industries that we have here. I mean, you know, we talk about government contracting, we talk about, um, you know, manufacturing, we talk about data centers, right? That's another big one. But I mean, we have ecotourism that, that, I mean, this is a beautiful area. We have aquaculture that, um, you know, that, that could be better served. I mean, there's lots of things that we could do better. And so at the state level, making sure that um, we take care of our citizens and we look at where we're spending our money and then we prioritize that spending and then we put action to the words. Yeah. So this one's going to be a bit of a fastball. So I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer to this question. Um, but I mean, you're probably aware of how Virginia does land use versus transportation. Localities set the land use, they build up, and then Virginia has to kind of come back through the Department of Transportation with a five-year plan and then build the roads after the fact. It's one of those things that that's why Fairfax became Fairfax. It's why Prince William and Loudon developed the way they did. Loudon tried to localize things, but it only pushed property values up and made it kind of a mess, right? I mean, Stafford and Spotsylvania, that fight goes all the way to the 1970s, right? So as a state senator, knowing that the localities make the land use decisions, but the Commonwealth makes the transportation dollars go, 
like how do you iron that over? Is that like is it FAMPO? Is it a like a tax overlay district? Is it um, you know, just kind of like wishing it away and hoping it solves itself. I mean, do you have a, a like a unique approach, or is it one of those things that you're just gonna have to to get your waiters on and dive in and figure it out? Well, first and foremost, um, you know, let's face practical reality, right? So, a freshman senator coming in and solving transportation problem. I know, as a politician, I'm supposed to say I'm going to solve transportation. <laughs> Um, You've got the magic wand, man. I mean, I know what you guys are working on. We saw so, the UFO hearings. I mean, it's, uh. so I so I think trying to be realistic about what we can do, but but my point is, is that I never, um, I never look at a problem a single way. I try to look at it from all sides, flip it inside out, and think of alternatives that we can do uh, to solve some of those. So, um, I think creating alternative um, access paths for, for bike trails. I think using passenger rail uh, as a way to get some of the cars off I, off the highway. I think uh, the implementation of broadband um, and allowing people to work from home, um, working with um, our state employers, uh, this, uh, the, the state government officials, uh, to create alternative work schedules, um, so flex schedules perhaps for different times for people to come in, different hours. These are all things that we can do to solve some of the transportation issues. But we've also got a lot of great opportunities that um, we can improve our Class A office space so that more of those Washington, D.C. companies feel comfortable opening an office here for their employees that are local. Uh, we also have the opportunity to um, you know, increase the number of SCIFs or the secure classified information facilities that we have in the area so that uh, government work and classified work can be conducted here within the region uh, without having the, the need for, for, for traveling to secure locations north or south. Um, I think those are all help get the cars off the roads. But I think that a regional transportation authority um, would be something that would help improve some of our traffic situations. And again, um, you know, Republicans would say, well, that's going to cause controversy with all of the issues that you just brought up. But my point is, is that I'm not saying the RTA is a single solution. There's no silver bullet. What I'm suggesting is, is that why don't we have an RTA that allows the localities to sort of focus where they want their dollars to be spent on, on secondary roads, not improving highways, but on secondary roads, and then change how VDOT does their analysis so that, so that you know, maybe there is some parity. Maybe there is some, you know, we can change the, the scaling system, right? So, um, VDOT is a wonderful organization. We see those folks out every single day working in the blazing heat and the freezing cold. Um, and they are trying to do what they can to improve our roads. But the reality is, is that we cannot build roads fast enough. And so instead of continuing to pour money into a, a plan that doesn't work, uh, as my dad used to say, pouring water into a bucket with a hole in it, um, let's figure out a way that we can spend some of those dollars on alternatives that actually would would in fact improve transportation issues for our citizens. So Joe, I got a, a much tougher question for you. Um, you're a Penn State grant. I am. Uh, please don't tell me you go around doing that uh, that that uh, crazy. We are. There oh. we go. There it is. There it is. <laughs> are you a sports fan? Absolutely crazy about sports. Love it. What do you follow? Anything on TV. If it's on ESPN, I'll watch it. Okay. I even watch ESPN Ocho. Okay, so if UVA were playing UNC, who would you root for? Oh, 
That's a tough one. That's not a tough one at all. That's a very That's a simple really question. Easy, easy, it's a really easy, easy question. question. This is this is just good versus evil. I mean, I'm a I'm going to plead. I'm going to. I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm a Tar Heel. All right. I, I, I think. I think <laughs> hold on. I, I, th- I think that sounded like he needed a fifth. So I'm a UVA fan. You're in. You're one of us. Wahoo! Wah. All right. <laughs> And scene. And scene. <laughs> See, we told you no fastballs. If you had said tech, then it's like, well, it's been another edition of the <laughs> So are you more like, like Penn State football or? Um, uh, you know, my, my daughter played soccer since she was five years old. And yeah. uh, so I, I, I never understood the game. You know, when I was growing up, you know, we, we just uh, it's the I, use of our hands. Well, yeah. It's, when I played, when I, when I was in high school, I played football, basketball, baseball, all four okay. years. Like I was just the kid who was just a jock. And, you know, if my, um, you know, my coaches were often my teachers. And so I actually did better in those classes. Surprisingly, I know. Nice. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I, I always love sports. I always love, you know, teammates and camaraderie and, you know, fighting for a common cause. I think that's sort of a, a theme that you've started to pick up on. But um, so when my daughter started playing soccer, it was a whole new world open to me, a whole new sport. I had to understand the the offside rule. So um, you understand that rule? Uh, I, no. Well, they actually changed it recently. So it's 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 now I have to go back and revisit it. It used to be if you were a little off by a shoelace, you were offsides. But now it's uh, I think it's your full body has to be offside. It sounds, yeah. like, the, sounds like the Jordan rules have come to uh, yeah. to Well, come it's to sort soccer. of like the, 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 <laughs> you know, the infield fly rule is just like, well, it depends on which, you know. Which field. Which yeah. field. Which field. And so, so, but, but no, um, you know, I, I, I love all sports. Uh, you know, I love watching soccer with my daughter now that she sort of hung up her cleats, but she played collegiately uh, for a little bit and. Um, so, and, and, and Jennifer, my wife is a, also a Penn state graduate. So she went, uh, right out of high school, I joined the Marines and then went to college on the GI bill. Okay. And so first generation to go to college. So it was kind of a big deal for me to go to college. Didn't really know what I was walking into, but, um, uh, but it's fun now because Jennifer and I are both Penn state alums. Ainsley's currently going to school there. Uh, so it's been fun to go up and, and watch the games and, and of course football. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course football, right. It's, you know, it's the best stadium in, in America. So, um, but it's been interesting too, because we go up there and we watch other sports. We watch, you know, volleyball or basketball or whoever's playing the sport. It's just a, it's a, it's a good thing for us. And then, you know, um, I've been watching, uh, have you guys heard of this disc golf? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I was watching that the other night and, uh, I, uh, yeah. So apparently it's okay. a thing. Disc golf is a thing now. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, Frisbee golf. I mean, that's, that's as close as I ever came to it, but. Used to, it was a big thing in Richmond for some reason. Like everybody played frisbee golf for a while, and then it kind of died out over the course of time. But yeah, somebody's making money on it and making it profitable in the ESPN. Great, right? Well, I I throw a frisbee like I hit a golf ball. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, it looks like it's going yeah. in that direction, and then it just, just you know the, the autopilot goes yeah. on and it's in the weeds. I want to play golf with you. I may actually have a chance to win. <laughs> <laughs> Probably do. <laughs> yeah, you bring the balls. I will. I will play. Okay. So, right. You you yeah. got a deal. You got a deal. I'm all, I'm all in on that. So um, so look, uh, toughest question of the night by far. We always end it with it. Yeah. What are you reading? What am I reading? Um, so I'm an interesting reader. I will admit that. 
Um, so I, not because I'm smart, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> so the uh, reason why we all read. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I typically have like three or four books I'm reading at a time because what happens is, is that I'll start reading a book and they'll mention a person or reference an event or something like that. And my brain immediately says, well, I can't keep reading until I understand that reference. So then I have to go find a book on that issue. And then I'll read a little bit about that one. And then the same thing just inevitably happens. And so I'll wind up reading parts and pieces of three or four different books at a time. And then I'll eventually just swing back and finish them. So, um, you know, I'm currently reading a book on um, stoicism. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a book about... Um, um, Teddy Roosevelt. I know I'm probably not supposed to say that, but uh, he was, he's oh. aggressive. I think you're fine. <laughs> Teddy yeah. Roosevelt's a uh, but, but it was marvelous re- character. I was read. I'm reading a book about um, um, uh, uh, you know leadership and and the the different leadership traits to be successful. So um, I, I I just have a sort of a mixed bag of books that I read. Do you remember the title of the Stoicism book? Um, Ask the philosophy major. It's a- uh, it's 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 actually uh, uh, um, it's sort of a uh, the Daily Stoic. Oh, okay. It's one yeah. of those. Okay. Yeah. And so, That's um, cool. so I will sort of read that passage um, and see how it, you know, how it relates. And, um, you know, um, it, it, it is something that it, it, stoicism is hard, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing of, of patience and understanding and consideration and right empathy. And, you know, those are all things that, you know, the Stoics of sure. uh, yeah, it, enduring of suffering and not at, like necessarily being altered by it. Um, Seneca, for instance. Right. Yeah. But, um, huh. Well, actually, do you, do you, would you, would you say that you have a, a, a Stoic ethos at core? Um, I would say yes. Uh, I would, well, let me reframe that. I would like to think yes. Um, okay. I would say that, uh, uh, my wife would probably say no. Um, <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I certainly try to um, imbue the, the the main main traits that are the characteristics of of stoicism, and and um, I think that actually is is part of what you know sort of contributes to the ongoing learning of of you know trying to constantly apply those principles in everyday situations, um, and so. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's a value. I think, um, you know, um, my, my faith is something that, um, is very personal to me as well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I also, uh, I'm very contemplative, right? So, um, all of those factors sort of come into play of, you know, how I try to make informed decisions or, or live, live what, what I think is a good life and, and trying to be, um, like I said, at the very basic level is leave the world a better place for, for, for my kids and your kids than the way we found it. Very cool. So Megan and Corey, you've been awfully quiet tonight. We're used to you guys coming in and <laughs> bailing us out with great questions. And you've, you've been so quiet tonight. I, I want to first put the question to you, you know, what are you reading? Corey and Corey, we know what you're reading. You're reading technical manuals, manuals. but, um, um, <laughs> he says with pride, I guess. Uh, <laughs> while, while you have the candidate here, in addition, tell us what you read. Is there anything you want to, to address to, uh, to Mr. Griffin? Um, well, <laughs> shouldn't have opened put that door. On the right. <laughs> that was a long pause. <laughs> like, yes. Um, well, uh, 
I think that, um, you know, there's been a lot of, um, I think there's been a lot of, uh, talk about, you know, unity between, um, you know, the, the, the past race and everything right then, uh, that and everything that's kind of transpired through that. And, um, I guess to kind of get an idea of kind of how you feel about how you feel about that race, how you feel about, um, the unity coming, uh, afterwards. I know you had a unity, uh, event at rebellion to kind of celebrate that, uh, you know, how, how and why is that important as a candidate moving forward, especially when, even though we're, you know, Democrats may be on the same team, there are things that are very different from each candidate that they feel is really important. How do you feel that bringing all that together is really important moving forward as you're trying to mount your attempt to become state senate? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's important to point out that um, there were several, you know, very um, arduous primaries, uh, mine being one of them. Um, you know, I ran against, uh, uh, Ben Litchfield in the primary, um, you know, much beloved figure here in the community, um, for what he stands for and, and, and who he is. And I've, um, you know, been very open about my, um, not only appreciation of him, but my support of him because it's not easy running in a political campaign. And so, um, he's also been very gracious, um, in defeat. And you just don't see that very often. You know, there's, there's been no questions of stolen elections. There's been no infighting. There's been no, uh, it's been nothing but graciousness from him and his entire team. And, um, you know, so that's something that, um, Ben and I certainly pride ourselves on, uh, for setting that example, that no matter what happened, we were going to be supportive of one another. And we've, you know, We've carried that for, that that forward, um, and and as far as the unity event overall, whether you're running for school board or whether you're running for supervisor or city council or delegate or state senate, this year, this election, it really matters. And I know politicians say every year, like this is the election, this is the this is the one that matters. Um, but I truly believe that. The candidates that that have participated uh, in in the Democratic Unity events all believe and are all fighting for the hope, for the faith, that for the belief that we are all equal, that we all deserve protection under the law, that we should all be treated the same, that that we should not be burning books, that we should not we should not be questioning teachers, we should not, um, you know, we should not make parents feel like their voices aren't being heard. We should, um, these are things that we have for too long taken for granted and we have all come together and we have all coalesced around the the principle that it's not about us. It's about our region, our district, our Commonwealth. And frankly, so goes Virginia. So goes the nation. We can set an example, um, here in this district uh, we can keep the Senate blue. We can flip the House to blue. We can create um, legislation to put forward that says a woman's right to choose is going to be enshrined in the Constitution and then come back the next session and vote on it again and pass it and make sure that this is never a debate that comes up again, that um, uh, that reproductive rights uh, are not going to be questioned, that 
that people who have children and have the ability to have children have freedom to make their own decisions. And again, from a unity standpoint, I, it, it's been so wonderful to see um, people come together. And I was at church on Sunday and, and the pastor was talking about um, he was in Georgetown for the weekend with his family and he saw one of those long boats in the river and they were all paddling in the same direction. And, and he had done some Googling on it about, about those boats. And the important thing is that people are strategically placed, right? The heaviest people are in the middle. The lighter people are at the ends. There's a coxswain who determines the, the, you know, the, how the, the oars are moving in the, in the water. So we coming together, we all collaborating, we working um, on towards the same common goals creates a streamlined approach. Um, and and, and um, so I'm, I'm happy to see it. We have a great slate of candidates this year. So Sean, what do you read, man? I know you, you've got, I know you've only got about 4,000 books on your shelf. Yeah. Right like, much like, much like Joel, I've got like five or six books on my nightstand and I read them all. I did pick up um, your book on Haiti. I read the first chapter. I forget the name of it. Um, but it's really good so far. So I should finish that sometime this week. Um, there was another book that I picked up. Again, I don't remember the name of it, but it talks about the events of September 3rd, 1939 from every different perspective as, as the British have made their ultimatum and it leads to war and it's finally announced and the reaction from the Germans and the Italians and the French and all that, um, which is a fascinating book. I mean, it's, like, it's like the end of the old world or something like that. That's the title of the book, but it's a Great little one volume was published in the 60s. And yeah, that's kind of been my my thing that I'm reading. Do I remember the name of those? No. So I can't share my wisdom with others, but such is the world. So Marty, what are you reading, man? So I'm uh, I'm getting ready for uh, school, right? So uh, I picked up a book that I've assigned to my students called America's Best Newspaper Writing. I'm teaching journalism at UMW. It's just, it's been a marvelous, it's a marvelous collection of some of the best newspaper writing over the last 50 years in America, and it takes the pieces apart and analyzes them. And um, I've just had a lot of fun um, with this. And actually, you and I talked about this a little bit today, and one of my favorite lines so far in this book is, you know, having worked at U.S. News for so many years, I was constantly, my, my editor kept coming to me and saying, you can't use this word. You can't use this word. You can't use this word. Like, Why can't I use this word? Because we have to write to a, to, you know, to a, to a, a a third grade level. And I'm like, I did not go to school for 500 freaking years to write to a third grade level. <laughs> and there's one of the best writers in here who actually was writing automotive reviews, which I love. I love cars. I love writing about cars. Had a, had a quote in here. It's like, look, if it's in the dictionary, it's in play, right? The reader right. needs to go look the word up. Okay. And I'm like, that's my kind of writer right there. I'm all about it, baby. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, so. that's why we wind up with five books on our nightstand because of guys like Mark. Guys like Mark, exactly. <laughs> you can blame me. Did you, you just can... write it in crayon? <laughs> uh. Well, I wrote an article last week about writing my ideas in crayon. That's right. Maybe. Yeah, Megan. Yeah, so I was going to say to your, uh, I'm glad you picked up that book. Um, so I'm still reading the same book as well. And for Joel and anyone else that didn't listen last week, uh, it's called The Common Wind. It's talking about the Haitian Revolution and the stories of rebellion that really echoed, you know, across the region during that time. 
Um, and yeah, to, to Marty, your question earlier about like any questions that we have, I think Joel, your point is really well received about the importance of the race. Um, and I guess my question to you is how do you foresee, you know, with this approach of unity that I think really resonates for all of us, um, how do you see yourself and your campaign really encouraging voter turnout, which continues to really be problematic, I think, for everyone. Um, so certainly from, you know, um, like a progressive ground game, you know, that that was something that I think that the Litchfield campaign did very well. Um, so what lessons do you think your campaign can learn from that? And how do you foresee yourself, you know, encouraging and trying to foster that voter turnout as we all really move forward and try to, you know, emphasize the importance of that race for, for everyone and make everyone feel like they have a space in that conversation. So, you know, voter apathy is, is very real here. And I think it's because prior to um, the Supreme court, you know, ending gerrymandering, people felt like their votes really didn't matter because there wasn't enough Democrats to be able to to change the district, even if they all voted, they still wouldn't be able to win. And so that created this voter apathy, and that's been going on for years. And so uh, it, to some degree, it's re-education and letting them know that um, – and, and, and Republicans the same – that this is a district where your voice matters, that um, your views on an issue may trump your issues uh, uh, or your, your views on a party, right? And so – um, I think it's a it's a real opportunity to to tell people that your vote matters. You, we have had elections won by you know less than ten votes, and and so you know having a household of three or four people show up could be the difference between winning or losing. And and whether or not you are uh, cheering in November or you're protesting in January, right? And that's the difference. And so we've got to continue to to, to um, as, um, spread that message. And I totally agree with you. Um, you know, there was a lot of tremendous uh, um, lessons learned from, from Ben's ground game. And, um, and that's something that, um, again, we talked about this earlier, right? I, I don't think I have all the right answers. If I can learn and get better, I want to. So yeah, the ground game is going to be critically important. Um, fundraising is going to be critically important. And I know a lot of people are like, God, politicians, all they do is ask for money. But the reality is, is that um, it takes money to buy commercials in the D.C. market. It takes money to buy flyers in order to get into everyone's home. There's 400,000 citizens in this district, and it's not um, it's not really practical unless a small army shows up at my door tomorrow to knock on every single door. But we can get information in, in people's hands, and we can share with them you know, our message. And um, so we're going to do that with phone calls, door knocking, postcards, flyers, mailers. Um, and I will say for the record that if you vote early, we will stop sending you stuff. So just, just <laughs> point to me. Um, and, and so that, that's how we're going to do it. And it's, it's going to be a lot of work, um, but we've got a, a great organization. And the unity piece, too, is that um, for every door that one candidate knocks on, they're sharing two or three people. Well, you know, literature, because it's important. Every race that we have this year is critically important. Wow. So that's a lot of good stuff tonight, Sean. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's great stuff. And it's actually, Joel, great to have you here. Great to know you as a person. Um, you know, I can't say I wish you luck, but I'm really glad to know that we have quality. <laughs> 
you're a stand-up human being, and for those who are inclined, they should take a good, strong look at you. So uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And, it's it's uh, my pleasure. And, of course, we look forward to having Tara, hopefully, here in uh, in the room. And mm-hmm. so the, the the shoe will be flipped uh, That's right. with me. Uh, looking forward to... <laughs> Looking forward to hearing more from Tara and um, um, you know, and learning more about her. It'll be a, it'll be a great thing and a good thing for people to hear and make up their mind uh, who they want to support, what That's they it. believe. That so is you what guys, it's about. You guys threw me for a little bit because you're wearing blue and you're wearing red. Like, are you guys going to flip flop next? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't throw, even notice throw that. The, throw the candidates off. Yeah, the, I, I got the memo. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. just. <laughs> It's what happens when, when, when you went to the University of Chicago and your school name is the Maroons. You're just kind of condemned to wearing red is what happens with you, right? <laughs> and what is a maroon? I mean, at least we know what a nitty line is, but I have no clue what a maroon is. So um, uh, shows how how much good all that money I spent on my there you graduate go. degree did make there. Yeah. Uh, no offense to my fellow University of Chicago alums. <laughs> Um, that's all the time we have tonight. Next week, I'm excited. We're going to have Adam Lynch from the Planning Commission here in town. And planning is a hot issue in this area right now. And, and looking forward to having him. So we get him, to ask uh, him about a regional transportation We get to ask him about RTAs and, and ADUs and all that fun stuff. Policy nerd is, alert. It's going to be awesome. So. It's going to be a lot of fun. So um, that's it for tonight. Uh, Joel, thank you so much for being here. Megan and Corey, another great night on the mics. Great questions there at the end. Sean, it's always a pleasure. Likewise, sir. And uh, to all of our listeners, we hope you have a great evening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the New Dominion podcast. Have a terrific week.